Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you as always by the crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, please check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. It includes founder coaching, fractional marketing and sales resources, and a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands. Well, I'm Steve Clear. I hope everyone's having a great day. We're going to have a great show. As my guest today is Mac Anderson, who is the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Cleveland Kitchen. Cleveland Kitchen is the premier fermented foods platform based, hey, guess where? Cleveland, Ohio with an owned manufacturing in both Cleveland and in California to support over 13,500 stores that the brand sells in nationally. Mac and his brothers founded Cleveland Kitchen at Farmer's Markets and have taken it to category leadership in a pretty short seven years while bringing in nearly $25 million in total investment. Mac also invests in and advises early stage food and beverage CPG brands that are disrupting their categories. We're going to talk a lot more about that. We're going to talk about the art and science of pickling. Welcome to the program, Mac. Hey, Steve, happy to be here. Thanks again for having me on. Hey, no, no problem. Been been looking looking forward to this. Um, so before we dive into pickling and stuff, can you catch us up a little bit on what you did before Cleveland Kitchen and how you got into CPG to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I studied economics and, and went naturally into uh, finance. I was working for um, a large multinational law firm and considering going down the... Uh, Juris doctor path before obviously my next step became sauerkraut and all things fermented. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but we, my brothers and I, uh, really kind of grew up in the natural foods um, movement, as it were. My mother is a trained chef; she studied biology, and so um, you know, ingredients and natural, organic, farm fresh food was always very important to her. And she quickly realized that it was kind of a pain to drag us boys out to farm country here in Cleveland, which is at least an hour each way um, over the years. And and she started to meet all these great farmers, growers, purveyors as she was doing so and and realized not only could she help them grow their business, but also that there was a great market for natural, farm fresh, organic foods in Cleveland well before we had anything like Whole Foods. And so she did start a network of nonprofit farmers markets okay. here in Cleveland, the North Union Farmers Market. So yeah, from uh, about five years old on, uh, my brother, <laughs> myself, our older sister, we were out there every morning. Um, you know, some kids got to enjoy Saturday morning cartoons. We were out there working with farmers, schlepping potatoes and, uh, you know, having fun watching small businesses grow. Absolutely. No, that's, that, that's great. It's, um, it, it's funny because I grew up on a farm in upstate New York and, um, yeah. you know, we, we had fledgling farmers markets and stuff in there, but our farm was pretty small. It was only about 25 acres, but, um, I had cousins who had bigger farms around, you know, one had a dairy farm, thank goodness. You know, so we always had dairy. We had, but everybody, grandma, everybody, aunts, whatever, all pickled. So down in the yeah. basement, and for folks who live in the west part of the United States, basements are very critical to food storage and stuff in, in the east and <laughs> midwest. Um, yeah, we have these big vats of pickles with gauze and stuff over the top of them. And, you know, if you were doing something and you drop something in there, oh, it was awful. 
was terrible. But the but the results were amazing and it gave you a real, real appreciation. Um, so you kind of had an inkling toward this. What were your brothers in law or finance or what were they doing? Yeah. So Drew um, was a VP at, at Key Bank, a local bank here. Um, he studied business statistics in college and uh, he was, he was actually his first bank out of school was down in Richmond, Virginia. So he can get great soul food, pretty good barbecue food, but he couldn't quite get what is, you know, typical of Cleveland. It's our comfort food here. It doesn't have to be your background, but if you come from Cleveland, Eastern European, you know, pierogi, kielbasa, sauerkraut is definitely a, yep. a hometown favorite. And so he was, he was fermenting uh sauerkraut to get to get that flavor of home when he was at his uh, first job down in Richmond, that's where he fell in love with fermentation. Um, funny story, he came back to Cleveland to work for Key Bank and met my sister's fiance at the time, Luke Viznik, our co-founder and chief um, operating officer here, and found out that Luke, who was an architect at the time, was also fermenting sauerkraut. Kind of get to get in touch with his uh, grandmother's roots. So he does have you know, the Bavarian, German, um, Croatian heritage. And, you know, they're kind of drinking beers and found out 100 fermented sauerkraut for trying recipes, crunching on, on some good ferments while, uh, while enjoying another great fermented beer and realized that uh, they had a strange hobby. They actually taught me how to when I was wrapping up uh, my economics degree. My buddies were wondering what the heck was going on in our kitchen, what that smell was. But, you know, come barbecue season, they love the fresh crunch and the great flavor. So we all knew that we had a uh, strange um, but delicious hobby on our hands here. All right. So, and, and that's great. Hobby, love, background. When does that move to somebody going, hey, we could sell this stuff in supermarkets? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we've always had the entrepreneurial bend, obviously, especially my brother and I uh, have always wanted to go into business together. Our mother definitely passed that down. Um, she, she built, it's still going. She's got yeah. 15, 16 markets. She's executive director. Fantastic. So she was always encouraging us to do our own thing. But um, as a part of this family, you have to manage markets all the way from, I think my first market that I fully took management of, I was in sixth grade and Steve, when when you meet me in person, I'm I'm about six foot nine, so I could uh, at a young age I could command a little more respect than your typical sixth grader. But both Drew and I are managing those markets every weekend in summer, all the way through college. And not only did we notice, you know, what a great small business was, how to engage with your community, but we started to really take notice of small brands and, and products coming to market. You know, what made a great food product? How it was being packaged? how the vendor was engaging with the community, especially when social media started to come about. And we really took notice when those particular brands would end up on grocery store shelves locally, whether it was at Finance, Giant Eagle, Marks, Whole Foods, something around Cleveland. Right. We just took notice and that always stuck with us. So, you know, when we're sitting around trying all these different varieties of sauerkraut we're fermenting, we start to really look at the market uh, in a serious way. Uh, with our financial background, we we did take a peek at, you know, is this on shelf? We couldn't find anything like it. Nothing that was fresh, crunchy, naturally probiotic. Um, we did note that capital was coming into emerging food brands. And so that yes. there was an opportunity to build a business and, and to be supported and, and scaled by capital. And that, you know, should we build a, a long-term successful business, uh, there might be an exit opportunity. So we started to put those wheels in motion. And um, in 2014, Okay. Uh, had our first farmer's market sale with just the sauerkraut. And, 
you know, from then up until late 2015, when we really entered into supermarkets, um, we were leaving our office job at 7 p.m., three, four nights a week, and work until two or three in the morning, fermenting the sauerkraut and then selling it on the weekends. And, you know, during this time of heavy hustle and, and a little bit of sleep, uh, we just were really kept pushing forward by the fact that consumers kept coming back week after week, not only for their favorite flavor, but for new flavors. And it was really the usage occasions. You know, at a market, it's a great place to get that consumer feedback. Yep. They're paying you to sample. Um, but they talk to you, you know? You become friends with each and every one of your customers, and they're telling you, hey, I'm using this on, on eggs, wraps, avocado toast, nachos, salad, rice dishes, you name it. So the usage occasion and the velocity was really growing well beyond, you know, just on a hot dog or a Reuben, you know, a few times a, a season or something like that. But it was becoming a fermented vegetable that was fresh, crunchy, delicious, and was being worked into the daily diet of our consumers. And so that gave us the confidence to, to put all of our savings into it, quit our jobs, you know, do some branding and build out a small commercial uh, space. Thank goodness uh, Luke was an architect. He's able to make uh, a 2,000 square foot. <laughs> make it work. Old infirmary. Yeah, exactly. Into a, into a food production space. So that's when we jumped in and, and launched with um, Heinen's and Giant Eagle, our two local retailers here. Right. So for for the folks out there who may not be familiar with sort of the difference, can you talk a little bit about fresh fermentation versus stuff that's sort of shelf stable on in jars or cans that people might be used to? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, uh, on your family farm, you always would pickle or ferment. It's the age old technology of preserving the harvest. So it's been around for thousands of years, um, lacto fermenting. But basically. Sauerkraut is cabbage, salt, and whatever other vegetables and, and spices you choose to add to it. Um, you do let it ferment until the pH level hits a certain point where it is uh, quite safe. And it's, uh, it's not only generated natural probiotics, um, but it's, it's preserved itself for quite some time. The difference between you know, a fresh, crunchy probiotic version that is live fermented versus you know, the canned stuff or kind of the bagged mush is uh, kind of that preservation process. So ours is never heated. It's cold packed and sent straight to grocery store shelves. It's right. refrigerated throughout the entire you know process. So cold chain all the way through. Whereas um, you know something that is pasteurized does lose that probiotic benefit. So it's taken up to a certain amount of heat. That's the kill step that they're using. Uh, it's easy to package because it's essentially slosh at that point. So it can be canned. It can be thrown in a bag. Uh, and sold at a very low price. And typically, um, you know, those are done in, in very, very large batches where ours is still relatively quite small batch made fresh every single week. Um, and, and, and obviously taste profile, totally, totally different crunch profile, all that good stuff. Um, let me ask you about, so you guys, 2014, 2015, whatever, you're bringing this out of your love for right? The product and the knowledge from the base of all the farmers markets and users, but you're also happening to hit a kind of a crest of where there's a tension now being paid again to fermented foods where high-end restaurants are pickling their own radishes to put on, you know, little garnishes besides your sandwich. Um, you, you guys also were lucky besides being good. No, absolutely. There's always, uh, Always a little bit of luck and, and timing and everything, right? But um, yeah, we worked our butts off, and, and it just so happened that you know 
Iron Chef Mike Simon was sending his sous chefs down to get some of our goods and is now a great supporter of the brand and our product on, on all of his barbecue menus. And we were having, you know, Jonathan Sawyer, who's an outspoken James Beard award-winning chef who happened yep. to be in Cleveland at the time. You know, he was huge into fermentation. So it was definitely coming back in vogue. I think we were really starting to notice the proliferation of, of kombucha onto, you know, conventional store shelves. So it wasn't just in your local Whole Foods, but it was actually popping up in, in gas stations when I was starting to make those sales right. calls and road trips. So fermentation, the awareness was, was really hitting some critical mass. Um, you know, we're, we think the white space is, is still so far ahead, but we're really happy that a ton of Americans are now not only very aware of, of what fermentation is, but how good it can be for you. And we definitely hit uh, kind of in that perfect sweet spot of stride. In, in the planning, Mac, um, did, did you guys, like, I know you started with local, like with Giant Eagle, but did you say, okay, well, we're going to take this. Um, I mean, you have a supply chain, right? Because it's refrigerated. Um, did you think I'm going to do natural channel first, then maybe tackle conventional grocery? Did you say, hey, we're going to grow from Cleveland out? How did you guys look at that in building the business? Yeah, no, I wish uh, back then we were we were that strategic. And that's definitely a, a piece of advice I give to a lot of young brands is, is make sure you're not getting out over your skis and, and you're focused on, on some channel strategy. But, you know, we were really looking for um, really any, any great retail partner that was, uh, that could sell it. We realized when the POs started coming in, we said, Hey, we got to get into a lot of doors to make this a sustainable business. And we got to be able to support those stores. Um, but, you know, we, we lucked out in that we had some, some fantastic retail partners. We definitely started to take notice that, you know, Depending on on the channel, depending on um, you know the community you're serving, you're going to be doing better or not with a high end premium sauerkraut. So you might have to do a little bit more work on awareness at a conventional rather than a, a whole food. So we definitely tried to focus more and more as we could on on getting into those natural stores. But um, yeah, growing from Ohio out early on, we were lucky enough to partner up with Rainforest Distribution out in the tri-state area. So really strong natural foods distributor in in the greater new york metropolitan um that took us to a lot of, of great partnerships up there and allowed us to kind of spread our wings and get a test market outside of cleveland uh which really helped in discussions nationally as of course we do have a localized uh brand name as it were but yeah no we didn't quite have the uh the strategy down but you know you don't know what you don't know and uh that's why we were definitely keen to pick up mentors um, and smart capital along the way that could help guide some of those strategies. And we learned as we went. When you were originally going out, were you guys trying to sell, not that you cared, but were you trying to sell into Delhi as opposed to, right? Because you've got to be refrigerated. So yep. who, who does yeah, the buy? So that, that, that seemed to be the, the logical point. Um, you know, we still do a lot of business in Delhi today, but that was definitely kind of the old school. Hey, we have sauerkraut here today. Let's go there. One of our strategies um, became and has been a great point of growth and differentiation for us, but we work a lot with um, produce departments across the country. And, uh, okay. you know, yep. basically, yeah. So I was able to, to see that, you know, when our local Whole Foods stores were running out of space and kind of their designated fermenting area, they would put us into the produce sets. And we started to see those same store sales really increase produce is a very heavily trafficked area it's it's where consumers go to find fresh 
you know, crunchy vegetables and foods. And, and, uh, right. we actually took those learnings to giant Eagle, our local partner. And, and they said, yeah, we'll give it a shot. We'll transition you from kind of the, the, the deli set that you're in today over to produce. And we more than doubled the business there. So in conventional, we were very strategic to try and position ourselves within produce because, you know, one of my pitches to them is saying, Hey, you're selling cabbage, beets, carrots, garlic, all the things that I'm putting in this product. And they've all got a shelf space for shelf life of about a week, but I'm, I'm adding salt time and, uh, giving it back to you with a much higher dollar ring, uh, probiotic benefit and a year shelf life. And so they really started to pay attention to us then. And we had a few great partners, you know, Publix, Target and Albertsons uh, that, that really leaned in on the produce side. You know, you go up to the Northeast and New England was their traditionally old school uh, retailers up there. And, and when we finally were able to sit down with them, um, a great broker partner in the area that got us a meeting with every produce buyer there, they, they tasted it. They got the fresh, crunchy vegetable. And, yeah. you know, everyone from Market Basket to Roche has put us in produce. And it's been a, a fantastic uh, no, that's awesome. positioning for us. Yeah, that, absolutely. And no, no question. It, the channel strategy and departmental, it, you know, also can make, just make a, a huge difference. Um, let me ask you, Mac, about uh, sort of more recent stuff a little bit. I've, I've been a longtime customer of Sonoma Brinery, and you guys made an acquisition. Um, and if I understood the story right, uh, you were raising capital, which we can talk about a little bit too in detail, but you were raising capital. And you, of course, treated the investors very judiciously by immediately going out and spending that capital as fast as you could to acquire somebody. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we'll start with the Sonoma piece. They're, they're a fantastic pioneer in the space. Um, you know, I think Dave Harris, he's, he's a brilliant mind when it comes to the science and, and fermentation and flavoring of um, pickled and fermented goods. And I think he really started that kind of fresh wave into, you know, live fermented, live pickled items almost 18 years ago when he started Sonoma Brinery as kind of a, yeah. a garage hobby. And it turned into a, a business that I think he definitely was surprised by and, and a kind of a labor of love. Um, we'd known him. He'd been super helpful with us. Uh, you know, we'd known him through the Fermentation Association. He's helped us with some science pieces around the fermentation and I think it was a, a trade show just a few years ago. He was kind of joking and, and mentioned, hey, if you ever want to buy a pickle factory, give me a call. And, um, you know, we were launching into pickles. Um, we, we happened to have a 99% service level with, um, you know, the number one retailer in the country. Once you read between the lines on who that might be. And, and they yep. said, hey, you know, my buyer came to me and said, nobody else is, is meeting this level. And I know you have plans down the road to get into pickles. That's a huge need for us. It's a huge opportunity. Would you consider accelerating those plans up a year and, you know, helping bring Cleveland Kitchen Pickles to our stores? And I said, if you can give me 1,500 stores across a couple of SKUs, that would make it enough of a business uh, to go after this. And, um, you know, he did so. It's truly a fantastic partnership. And um, immediately we, we kind of came together as a leadership team and we love to manufacture everything, right? So we want to make sure that we're controlling our destiny. That's how we get to that 99% service level. That's how we feel we provide the best fermented foods um, on the market. 
in terms of quality and taste. And so we called Dave and said, hey, were you serious uh, about that? And he said, it's actually funny. You know, I'm actually getting to a place in my career where it's either raise the next batch of capital and really go after this thing or, you know, he's 70 some odd years old and, and kind of wanted to, to take a step back. And he saw us as a great um, team to pass the torch to. So uh, that was always the top of the discussion with our capital partners. The right. raise detailed the acquisition. So it was a, uh, it wasn't something where we just raised a, a bunch of money and, and didn't disclose that we had plans to, to purchase the brand and <laughs> um, you know, all the, all the factory assets, but yeah, it was uh, it was a, a heck of a, a heck of a road, you know, uh, since this, the first discussion all the way through to close, which we closed uh, February 25th of this year, you know, it was, nearly a year and all the trials and tribulations that, that go into a deal and, and uh, navigating which partner you want to go with and who's going to be involved. And we're quite lucky to land uh, with, with Amber Stone, our venture capital firm out of San Francisco, fantastic team out there. And then a uh, strategic partner in CJ Foods group, their venture arm uh, also co-led the round. So really happy with where we ended up. Uh, we just opened the brand new facility out in Santa Rosa. So today we do own and operate the um, most technologically advanced pickle manufacturing facility in the United States. Um, so pretty exciting times over at uh, Cleveland Kitchen. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. No, no, no question. It's um, uh, one of the things too, I think of that finding that strategic relationship or a strategic acquisition that like fits right into what you're doing. Plus also giving you manufacturing capability a couple of thousand miles away, which is good too, as you can switch things around if if you need to and and, and go go forward. How does does the pickle business have its kind of its own its own life versus other fermented so sauerkraut, carrots, radishes, whatever? Is is pickle significantly different, or is it people who yeah, like I one mean, like it, the other usually? It definitely depends on on the style. You know, we do some great some great koshers, so some some half sours that are fully fermented, but, um, you know, we do traditional pickling is, is just that it's, it's a vinegar. We take a higher quality live vinegar. So it is kind of lightly fermented and it does live in the refrigerated chill, um, cold chain as well. So there's quite a bit of similarities, but, um, you know, we, we make sure that we, uh, we get some efficiencies with both. So we're bringing all the sauerkraut production and the other items that, Sonoma Brinery makes uh, back to Cleveland, and then we're focusing all all of our pickle production out west. Out so west. just really hitting, and then we'll have uh, cold cold chain storage on both ends. So you guys were rolling along nicely, building, and all of a sudden we have a global pandemic. Um, how did it affect the business? What did you guys do? Um, how'd you get through it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was definitely um, unexpected, and for a young company, obviously pretty scary the first few weeks. You didn't really know what to expect. You didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we were lucky that our, our team and the operations team, especially is, is quite resilient. Um, they really put it on their back and, and uh, you know, quickly assessed the situation and when it was deemed safe to, to go back to work, kept the facility running the whole time. Quite lucky that our staff is, is not only fantastic, but was what they do, and we were able to to get through without um, you know really any any um, issues uh, on the health front. So thank God they're first. But um, it, 
like many food companies, we did see a, a huge stocking portion. So, um, you know, grocery sales were up. It was fantastic to see that folks were not only cooking at home more, obviously, but also right. really paying attention to their health. So, you know, something that is live, that is fermented, that does support immune health, like our sauerkraut and kimchi, um, really, really started to take off. And we gained a lot of trial during that period. And luckily for us, our, our goods are delicious and, and can be worked into so many dishes that we did have staying power. So, you know, it wasn't just a, a flash in the pan stock up, but we were able to sustain our growth. And then, you know, due to our focus on, on quality and service for our retail partners, uh, we were able to maintain those 99% uh, service levels of on time and in full from, for everyone from Walmart to, to Whole Foods there. So um, it definitely let us stick out of the crowd and in, in terms of a, a very tough supply chain environment. And uh, I think our retail customers and our consumers uh, at the end of the chain were, were very thankful that we were on shelf uh, every single day. So it was, it was a great opportunity for us and definitely had its challenges. Yeah, get, getting through it for sure. A, a, a silver lining to some of the other stuff, there definitely was an increase in awareness. Consumers making a little bit different choices. You know, initially, Massive comfort food, you know, all, all the top ramen is sold uh, yeah, out, but then it's going to the back of, boy, I need to increase my immune efficiency. How do I begin to change my diet or whatever to, to help do that? Um, let's touch for a minute on the finance part of it. You know, if you have background on that Mac and whatever, and you guys obviously a little bit of a, um, you know, with your relationship with your brother and stuff, a little bit of a head start in that area, but it, one of the things that's just a huge challenge, which you know, working with advising smaller companies, is this access to capital, the kind of capital, um, you know, how do I look for angels or how do I find a strategic partner or whatever? Um, did, did you guys put a roadmap out for that? Or did you already have contacts or how'd you handle raising, raising funds? Yeah. Um, you know, our initial kind of friends and family around, we actually accomplished our, our first check. We were out at a brown tailgate just handing out tubs of our sauerkraut well before we had a branded product. And, um, you know, um, Dr. Julian Kim, who, who I grew up with his, his son, we were, he's, he's a great fan. He's a top surgeon of oncology here in Cleveland. And, um, you know, he's of Korean descent. His wife has uh, got German heritage. And so our spicy uh, sauerkraut was definitely, it was kind of a mix of kimchi and sauerkraut. So it was a perfect fit. They loved it. They kept it in their fridge. And, you know, we were, we were drinking him and my brother uh, were at the tailgate and it, it turned out, we kept asking the right questions. Our brother said about 10 minutes in, he realized, Oh, oh shoot, I'm pitching right now. And, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, kind of turned to him and, and said, uh, you know, what do you need? And that was our, our first $50,000 check. We kind of thought, Oh, this is just maybe, maybe some, some talk over drinks and before a football game, but he did reach out the next day and uh, is, has been along for the ride ever since. But, you know, beyond that, it was definitely about getting out to, um, to trade shows, really getting into um, the network of, of uh, food and beverage and emerging brands here. Right. So, um, you know, we met Alex Schneider from, from Clover Vitality, who was our very first VC involved in our seed round at our very first uh, food show, Fancy Food, you know, kept in touch. And it was also about, you know, being very cognizant of, of knowing that we don't know what we don't know. So reaching out for mentorship, um, you know, talking to folks who had been there, done that. And that was one of the things that 
we really appreciated about Alex's group early on was, you know, he syndicated a, a large group of, of founders and entrepreneurs from the food and beverage space, specifically manufacturers. And so we all automatically kind of got in touch with a great group of investors that, um, that knew kind of what we were going through, knew how to help us plan, how to be strategic on both the operations and the sales side. You know, everyone from, from Brad Sachs at, at uh, More Than Gourmet to, um, you know, the team, uh, uh, Steve and Harvey, and they, they built out, um, gosh, it's a huge muffin company. Hold on, I'll, I'll find them. But, but just great founders and experienced entrepreneurs in the space. Um, you know, JP Mackey on the sales front was hugely helpful. And so it, it, it was quite important to put yourself into the network and then to really be right. sure to, to seek out mentorship, to seek out, um, you know, founder friends that could, that could provide advisement on you know, other investors and things like that. And then to keep in touch, you know, whether you're raising or not, to have those conversations with various VCs, right. with investors. To kind of walk them through your strategy and then to go out and execute and really to be the entrepreneurs that, that do what they say they're going to do uh, was key for us. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very important. Did you guys, because you started, obviously it's an at home, then you move it. Did you, did you ever go out to a co-packer in the beginning or have you guys controlled your production all the way along? Uh, we've controlled all of our production. Not to say that we didn't go out and seek a co-packer. Obviously it would have been tremendously easier to scale. I think that was uh yeah. You know, also guiding our decision uh, of where to go within retail early on. You know, I'd come home and it wrapped up Wegmans and I'd celebrate with Drew and Luke. And then Luke would be like, ah, shoot, now I got to go figure out which walls to break down and make food space and figure out where to make this stuff. So, it, yeah, yeah, it, it would have, yeah. It's it's critical, I, I think, and, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand I mean, early founder stuff of of the way that the business is organized. If you are successful, you very quickly go from, I call it the, you go from 20 stores to 200, then all of a sudden you go to 2000 and that, that, yep. that jump is, it's a big gap. And if you're invested in your own equipment, capital, whatever, there's only so much stuff that equipment can make at that point, right? And at 90, whatever percent efficiency you're running it at, uh, it's very hard to say, okay, when do we put in that second line? Because maybe I don't have enough business for the second line, but I have more business than for line number one. So did, did you guys have that situation in, in, in building it out? Yeah. So initially it was always, um, it's kind of been, you know, me leading all, all sales and marketing and, and the ops team. It's, it's always been a little bit of an ebb and flow. <laughs> um, so I would, I would consistently go out and break our facility and then we'd build it back bigger and stronger. Um, you know, one of our raises, in 2018 was to build uh, a new and unbreakable facility. And then, you know, I put serious strain on that. So it's always been, I'm not too comfortable when the operations team is too comfortable and, and uh, you know, vice versa, but we, we've got a great relationship where we're now we're able to, to really scale and grow and service our customers, which we find to be most important. But yeah, it was, uh, it was always difficult trying to say, okay, what can I actually go get? If I'm talking to Kroger or Albertsons today, or, you know, heck even Walmart, can we actually take on X amount of stores or all their stores? So, so having that uh, discussion and being very transparent uh, and planning with our operations team was key. And, you know, that's, that was one of the biggest reasons why 
not only could we not find a co-packer to, to make the quality of product that we expected or the style of sauerkraut that we thought we could really win with and, and become a category leader with, but, um, you know, we wanted to own our own destiny be able to pick and choose when and where we wanted to expand. And, and when we had a great opportunity to launch into, you know, call it doubling our store count in Walmart or launching into Sprouts, who's been such a fantastic partner, yeah. uh, we wanted to be able to make sure that we owned that line time and, and we weren't kind of beholden to a larger company who might not have our same interests. Um. Looking, looking sort of the crystal ball uh, a little bit in the future, what do you see for the company and what also do you see for fermentation and, and fermented foods as a category? I'm glad you asked Steve. The future is fermented. It's clear. <laughs> um, no, we, yep. we see a, a lot of great growth. We've, we've got some really phenomenal retail partners. I've only obviously mentioned just a few of them here today, but uh, we're seeing growth in double digits uh, across the board. You know, 95% of our Retail partners that we've been in uh, in their stores and on shelf for over you know 18 months, we see double digit growth across the board. So it's really exciting for us to see that you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg for America's um, kind of appetite for fermented foods. I think the education piece is 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 really coming around everywhere you look, whether it's the Times, whether it's your favorite influencer or doctor or podcast is talking about the benefits of fermented foods and how you should really be working them into your diet every day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I go to South Korea to, to see our partners at CJ and there is a fermented vegetable dish at every single meal. And, you know, I think we're, we're quite a ways off of that, but if we can come close to pushing the American diet um, towards that, I think we'll be healthier, happier, and obviously business will be booming there's 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 headroom there's no doubt about it there's there's still still some growth potential there um you've also started doing some work with um with other entrepreneurs but with startups and whatever what what kind of stuff do you see out there what have you been working with that you're excited about yeah absolutely um there's a lot of opportunity to continue to shake up categories i think um there's there's been some really great entrepreneurs coming out um, and, and seeing a category that might be stale or stagnant and, you know, applying either if it's a, a better for you product or, or something that's just taking another look at it. Um, it's, it's been really fun to help advise and, and bring, uh, you know, these, these companies along as well. And I'm just a small cog in those machines, but we're always really happy to put you know, smart, good capital behind terrific entrepreneurs, um, some fantastic brands and products out there. I think, you know, we really look at the founder and the product first and um, I'm continually impressed by, you know, even if I'm not investing in this round, some of these, some of these founders and some of these products, they're, they're yeah. really looking to change the world and it's, uh, it's exciting. And however I can help them avoid any mistakes that, that we made and help advise on strategy, that's, um, really fun in my book where you want to be doesn't quite feel like work awesome well you know mac it's it's a great story great products um obviously and, and a lot of stuff to look forward to in the in the future um you know great you're able to spend time with us today um one of the things that we do in that area of giving back and talking to fellow founders who make up a lot of our audience and small team members as well is we have a segment we call words to grow by and it's basically a, it can be a word, it can be a quote, it can be your favorite issue, whatever it is that 
you would like to leave for fellow entrepreneurs out there as they uh, go through their journey? You got something for us? Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's all about, you know, being both scrappy and strategic. So it's never kind of losing that hustle, that grit that really got you to the dance. Um, always making sure that you're acting as though you don't have a, a large budget and, and getting things done and, and putting the time in and the work, but also taking the time to step back and, and really be strategic, not, not doing things just for growth's sake, but doing things that will build a sustainable and long-term business um, and that help you plan uh, in a strategic fashion and, and, and give your company and brand the best opportunity to be here to stay and to continue to drive growth. So for me, it's, it's a comb- combination of both of those things. And, and that's what keeps uh, the game fresh and up enough. Keep getting after it, right? Keep, keep going after it. And people can find more information about Cleveland kitchens at your website. Yeah. Clevelandkitchen.com and uh, definitely check us out on social at Cleveland kitchen on both the Instagram, Twitter, Check out our LinkedIn. We're always doing fun stuff and you'll be surprised at, at what we can't put sauerkraut or kimchi into. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'll give it a try. Well, thanks, Mac. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy uh, and for taking the time and sharing the uh, Cleveland Kitchen story with us. Thanks so much, Steve. Really appreciate it. Hey, and thanks to all the rest of you out there as well for joining us for another Next Level Brands podcast. Thanks as well to the nextlevelbrands.com folks for production assistance. We're always grateful for feedback and comments. If you have an idea for a show topic or a special guest, please feel free to let us know. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.